Welcome to the August 2021 MDS podcast. I'm Sarah Schaefer from the Yale School of Medicine, and today we will be speaking with Dr. Caroline Olvera from Rush University Medical Center regarding her recent paper in Movement Disorders Clinical Practice about a new phenomenon in the age of social media and the global pandemic, TikTok ticks, a pandemic within a pandemic. Welcome to our program, Dr. Olvera. Thanks for having me. First, I'd like to get some background from you for our viewers who may be unfamiliar with social media platforms, including TikTok. Can you just go over what exactly is TikTok? Sure. And I actually had to learn a lot about it myself through the process of writing this paper. So it's similar to other social media platforms, but it's really focused on video sharing um, rather than kind of you know, Twitter, where you write a little blurb, and this is really focused on sharing video. So a user similar to Twitter or Facebook creates a profile, and then within these profiles, upload videos. And so the videos are all less, uh, less than one minute long, and each video can be associated with certain hashtags or keywords. So users of the platform can either find videos by going to specific pages or profiles of other users versus searching hashtags or keywords individually. And these are broad. I mean, COVID, you can search, I mean, Chicago, kind of anything really similar to if you put something into Google. So for our purposes, we looked at keywords and um, Tourette's. And what prompted you to do the study? We were actually with uh, me and my mentor, Dr. Compaliti, working on an abstract for MDS, looking at a cohort of our patients that developed an abrupt onset of tick. So I, you know, just started my fellowship in last year, last July, so July of 2020. So I did have a little bit of familiarity with ticks and Tourette's syndrome, but I, I did not realize how strange it was that all of these kids were coming in with an abrupt onset of ticks. So Dr. Campolidi, who's been working with tick patients and, you know, published on the topic, told me, okay, this is very strange, Caroline. So we started to just get this cohort going and write this abstract for MDS. And so it was actually her daughter and some of our patients who brought up the fact that ticks and Tourette syndrome is kind of trending on uh, TikTok in particular. And so I just started to pull it up, look at videos after getting a username myself and figuring out how to work it, with, which took some time for me. I, I am not on social media. And in fact, there were a ton of tick and Tourette syndrome um, videos that look similar to our cohort of patients. And then within those videos of tick and Tourette syndrome, those kids all looked very similar to each other. And they had a very unique kind of phenomenology among each other. So, you know, we were originally kind of focusing clinically on what we're seeing coming into our clinic, but then just looking at these videos, thought it was a very unique cohort and you can just look at data from the social media platform itself without even kind of relating to what you're seeing clinically. And, you know, movement disorders, we love looking at phenomenology. We love looking at videos and examining patients. So that is what TikTok is. It's a bunch of videos of these 
kids, I, I always want to say patients because they're so similar to ours. And you can, you know, very easily look at patterns among them by just looking at these videos. And by the time that, you know, all said and done, I looked at at least 3000 videos of these kids and, you know, to write the paper. Wow. So how did you actually perform the data collection and analysis? Yeah. So one of the more difficult parts of this was how do we define the most popular videos on TikTok that are relating to tick and Tourette syndrome? So what is trending in today's world changes by the day. And so identifying the videos that were most popular on this platform was really what we started with and, and how I had to frame it was really learning about TikTok and learning about how popularity is determined um, on this site. And so I started basically by looking at all hashtags that included the stem of tick or Tourette's. And these are kind of, you know, you might have hashtag tick and then it'll hashtag tick disorder. So looked at anything that included the word tick. And then among those uh, videos that came up under that hashtag, identified the most popular videos. And then within those most popular videos, looked at each user individually and identified users with over 100,000 followers just to kind of capture what are people watching the most on these platforms? What users might have the most influence on other users? Um, so really focused on these most popular you know, almost celebrities of the TikTok world and wanted to focus on their ticks. And then, so within these popular users, I actually looked at all of their videos and then also chose their most popular video to kind of do a more in-depth quantitative analysis using one of our tick scales that was developed at Rush to get, you know, to have some kind of quantitative data and on top of what I was noticing by just kind of looking at all of their videos and identifying themes as a whole between all of these videos. And what did you find? Yeah, so in terms of what we noticed, overall, I mean, the, the most striking thing to me is how severe that these ticks are. So there's one of the trending videos that was popular among these users is cooking videos. So users would not be able to complete, let's say, a simple brownie recipe without hurting themselves, without dropping a, a bowl of, you know, flour on the floor. It would take them hours to get through these recipes. So that's just one example of what I was seeing in there. So incredibly disruptive to their daily activities. With that, too, a lot of self-injurious uh, behavior, which, you know, in my one year and two months of, you know, movement disorder fellowship, I realize is very uncommon and looking through the literature confirmed that this is a very uncommon. And then also, you know, along with these ticks being so disruptive, the self-injurious behavior, there was also very common vocal ticks um, among the users. So what really got me started in terms of seeing the similarity between these users is that the majority of them said the word beans as a vocal tick. And for me to best analyze the videos, I had to only include really English speakers for, for me to kind of really understand, is this a vocal tick? Is this just something that's part of a normal conversation? And so these users, primarily from the United Kingdom and uh, America, 
was what I found was the you know predominant uh, locations of them. They just said beans, but then also users that were speaking all different kinds of languages from all over the world. I saw Portugal, China. Russia were also saying the word bean. So within this group, you have very unique uh, vocal tics or movements that were seen um, among them, which I, I wouldn't expect. And you know, the there was actually a, a few uh, clinic patients that came in saying the word bean as well, similar to these TikTok users. And do those patients attribute their tics to? these videos and related do those patients generally have previous tick disorders or Tourette syndrome um, and this is some kind of an exacerbation in the setting of watching TikTok or are are they new onset ticks? So it was really a combination um, of both. And I think that's probably what's going on with these TikTok ticks as well, as it's hard to attribute this just to, in our case, in terms of what we found, we thought a lot of these were psychogenic or functional ticks. And I think that is also what we're seeing in clinic, but you're also seeing an exacerbation of pre-existing ticks. But the, the cohort that we included in our abstract of 10 patients all had abrupt onset without a pre-existing history of ticks or really abnormal movements. And so, you know, when we submitted this in March, I think we had a cohort of 10 patients that we found through chart review, but I think this has at least tripled since we submitted the abstract. And it really is just this abrupt onset without a previous history of ticks. But I do think it's probably, you know, simplifying things to say that these are all psychogenic or functional and that there isn't really an organic tick disorder underlying some of these patients. So I think, you know, even if we're not getting a history of, of previous diagnosis of Tourette syndrome, organic tick disorder is probably representing at least a subsection of these patients, but I'm not sure if it's representing a majority of these patients. And going back to the basics here, this was something that always confused me a little bit as a as a resident and fellow, the difference between functional and organic ticks, given that ticks do have a semi-volitional nature to them and can be influenced by outside things like, if, you know, the patient gets a cold and then develops a sniffing tick. How do you differentiate between the two? Yeah, so I think there's a fine line between the two of them in, in terms of what you said, in terms of there's overlaps of suggestibility, a big component of anxiety and mood disorders, uh, ticks are distractible, you know, like, you know, triggers like in terms of the anxiety. So it is difficult to differentiate these. What we kind of use in this paper as saying that these are more functional is using the existing literature that's out there in terms of looking at kids and then adults with Tourette syndrome and looking at their phenomenology of their tics, like specifically body distribution. Also, what's more common in terms of the, you know, body distribution, like I think we, you know, when kids come into the clinic or adults come into the clinic, we see a lot of eye blinking, a lot of simple facial movements, which is typical of Tourette syndrome and what's reported in the literature and what I've seen thus far in my movement career versus the functional tics, you're going to get a lot of more of the abrupt onset of the destructive type of behavior. So we really use the literature as defined 
defining what's functional and what's organic. But I think just looking at ticks themselves is really difficult to differentiate those two. So, you know, I, I think we just kind of decided these are more functional than organic, but I think ultimately it's really hard to make a concrete diagnosis of either of those, you know, as etiology. Well, in addition to the body distribution differences, the fact that their arms were more involved than their head and neck and, and the higher incidence of self-injurious behavior, one thing that I thought was interesting about what you noted on the TikTok videos was that these very small ticks, like blinking, you know, ticks that were less disruptive were not seen. Yeah. And so it appeared that there was more for lack of a better word, of a performative type situation going on. And, you know, you would expect that in somebody with a tick disorder and Tourette syndrome that they may have large amplitude or very disruptive ticks, but also would have smaller scale ticks. Is that correct? Yeah, right. And, you know, I, I think in terms of etiology, you really have to consider as well going through these profiles, the majority of users, you know, are getting some kind of financial compensation for being popular. So whether that's, you know, having promoting other brands, I mean, promoting themselves. So most of them had websites where you could buy you know, they're creating candles or bookmarks or these kinds of things related to themselves. Um, so if they're more popular in the rankings, you're going to have a bigger business from people seeing your videos and then purchasing what you're selling or paying you for, you know, an appearance and your birthday party. So I think the more disruptive ticks, they're more I, I don't want to say entertaining because a lot of these kids were really harming themselves and having bruises, but it, it's it's more engaging, I think, to someone that's scrolling through TikTok to see these dis disruptive and destructive movements. So I do think there's definitely a performance aspect to these. And, you know, what I've noticed in clinic is when tick patients come in or Tourette uh, patients come in, they want to suppress their ticks. They don't want you seeing them. They want to try to engage in the conversation you're having with them. But then you, you know, our protocol at Rush is to film every patient that comes in. So we have a protocol for our tick patients. And so when you're sitting next to them there in clinic, they, they might be having fewer ticks. But then we bring them into this back room. We leave them alone for a few minutes and record them. And then because they've spent so much time suppressing these ticks, while you're actually watching them in clinic, they'll have a little bit of an explosion when they're left alone in the room. So it's kind of the opposite of what we see on TikTok, where when they're filming themselves, they, they have these explosion of movement. So definitely, I, I do think there's a performance aspect to it. When you have videotaped these patients coming in with TikTok ticks, Mm -hmm. Has it been the opposite pattern where they've had very prominent ticks with you in the room and then they've calmed down when they're being privately videotaped? With some of them, yeah. I think they, they calm down a little bit, definitely, when, when people are leaving the room. Um, but some of them not, which I think gets at that there there is in, in a subset of these patients an underlying tick disorder and 
you know, I, I in residency, I don't think I understood the concept of functional overlay as much as I do now. And that sometimes you have to sort through this functional overlay and treat that before you get at that really underlying pathology in terms of an organic tick disorder. So I do think some of these phenomenologic, I still am not great at saying that word, uh, <laughs> fit in with uh, an organic tick disorder over a, a functional tick disorder. Taking a wide angle lens here, going into the ethics of all of this, when, you know, as neurologists, we've witnessed an increase in general on YouTube and TikTok and Facebook and other platforms of patients displaying various neurological disorders that they label as this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. And that may have features of functional neurological disorders on the video. And some, of, some of these may have very narrow impact, but the others much wider impact. For example, patients demonstrating syndromes after vaccination and using mm -hmm. social media platforms to forward anti-vaccination sentiments. All right. You also mentioned cases of cohorts of patients developing mass sociogenic illness characterized by functional neurological disorders on a large scale, receiving media attention and causing public concern. What do you actually think the role of neurologists and neurological organizations should be in these cases? Do you think we should follow the Psychiatric Association's Goldwater rule and not weigh in or... Uh, do as the Functional Neurological Disorders Society recently did, releasing a press release about how, in general, functional neurological disorders can happen after vaccines and that some cases without specifics have been consistent with this phenomenologically. What do mm -hmm. you think? Uh, I think that's a tough question. I think when we first started writing this paper, we didn't necessarily want to put a label on what we're seeing and just kind of describe what we're seeing. But when we got the paper under review, they, they mentioned that we think that these are more consistent with a functional tick versus a organic tick disorder. And looking through the literature and doing more reading on it, I think I ag agree with that. But I do think I, I try to leave it a little bit open in the paper that these could represent, you know, a combination of all different kinds of neurological disorders. So I think us as neurologists labeling all of these TikTok users is a little bit, you know, dangerous, even though comparing it to the literature is they do have more aligned with a functional neurological disorder. I think our role right now is to ultimately be aware that social media has such a great impact in terms of what we're seeing presenting in clinics. And I think what we're seeing coming into clinics is atypical maybe for what these how these disorders classically present. And I think there is and definitely this this underlying influence of social media, but I mean, you know, I, it recently too with celebrities coming out with chronic neurological disease and how they're kind of 
presenting, how they, how they develop this neurological disease is also different than what we're seeing in clinic. I'm not trying to, you know, get too specific about that. You know, I, I, it's not just tics that we're seeing this with. We're seeing this with a lot of chronic neurological conditions. And I think we have to be aware that the presentations that we're seeing are different than what is classically told to us in the literature. And does that mean that, you know, is are these conditions more functional or does that mean that we're getting some functional overlay? People are identifying with these users and their celebrities and having some symptoms and then they're kind of mimicking them to maybe, I think, be taken more seriously by doctors or, I mean, it's, it's, complicated but i think right now the first step is is having an awareness that this is out there and that it's different than what we're seeing or have been used to seeing in our clinics yeah it's becoming much more ubiquitous that's for sure and addressing these types of situations on a one-on-one basis may ultimately not be the answer, but it is very difficult when you haven't met and formally examined a patient to make judgments about what you're seeing. Though in movement disorders, so much of our determination is based on, you know, videos that that it may be a, a, a better subspecialty to for that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, that's why I think a big limitation of this is, you know, we can't ask about suppressibility or, uh, you know, like an urge or a sense of relief or uh, that type of thing with these patients. We're really just looking at what their tick or tick-like movements are. We're, we're not able to get a history from these patients. And I mean, the same with celebrities that are coming out. We're not examining them. I'm not seeing their MRIs. So it's a complicated thing. Something for all of us to think about. Yes. Oh, for sure. Okay, well, thank you for your time. Yeah, of course. Thank you.